Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Beyond the Wire podcast. I am your host, Tim Keller. Along with me is my fantastic co-host, Mr. Matt Disher. So, Matt, how are you doing today there in the Midwest? Another sunny day in Cincinnati, Tim. What's it like uh, over there in PA? Um, it's mid-80s. The past two mornings have been um, in the 60s, which that if I could get that year-round, mid-60s, yep. maybe a, a very light breeze, you know, yep. maybe a cloud or two in the sky. I don't need it to be perfectly sunny every day, but that would be... That's where I am comfortable, right there. We had a couple of weeks of overbearing, oppressive heat here mm. in the Midwest. I think it was, and I, I don't think it ever got really humid, but it was just very hot. And now it's, uh, I was just sitting out on my deck a minute ago, just trying to get a snack for lunch. And uh, my son was running around in the backyard. And so I sat on the deck and it was probably 70 degrees and sunny. Nice little breeze. Beautiful. It was perfect. Perfect. It's not, yeah. it's not swimming weather. But it's good weather. Yeah, we're in the uh, we're in the 80s now. Uh, by this weekend, we're supposed to be in the 90s again. So back to that hot and humid. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we had a, a Fourth of July thing. We still have it planned for Saturday, but right yep. now they're talking uh, like mid 90s with an 88 percent chance of rain like all day. So yeah, <laughs> so that mm-hmm. may or may not happen. Right? Who knows? Right. Uh, you know. Any. Anyways. Um, we got we got Steve checking in already. He's uh, over there in Indiana. Says it's real nice there. Um, you know, hey, I'm sure Indiana is beautiful this time of year. Uh, let, let's uh, you know, we had a couple things we wanted to talk about today. There it is. We threw Steve's comment up on the board there. Uh, the Steve, first one, Steve, by the way, Steve has a glorious beard. Just it's like, a fantastic I, beard. Yeah, I can't. Mine doesn't work that way. <laughs> yes, you have mine. two guys with just you know some scruff on their faces. I, and I, I think. I think Will Harrison, uh, a Marine that, uh, we, we, you know, Will Harrison. Yeah, right? I know. Will. Uh, he, he chimed in here a couple weeks ago and asked what's what's up with my beard. And uh, <laughs> I couldn't give him a good answer, but uh, Steve's beard is looking fabulous. It's ZZ Top-esque. It is. Yeah, it's you know, very I'm jealous, nice. Steve. Yeah. I'm jealous. Show us your ways. <laughs> yes, it's a very, very nice beard. Um, the, the first piece, it's not even really news. Um, I, I guess it's kind of news. Uh, former commandant of the Marine Corps, General uh, General Mattis, has gotten married. He has given up his first love, that being the United States Marine Corps, and has found love. He married a, uh, a beautiful lady in Las Vegas, had an Elvis impersonator uh, oversee the uh, ceremony. If that's not, um, you know, an E1's, <laughs> an E1's doing, I don't know what it is. Honestly, that is a, a PFC that gets stationed out in uh, – Pendleton and runs off with some local lady gets married in Vegas, but Hey, you know what? More power to him. I'm happy to see uh, general Mattis uh, getting hitched. And the reason this is significant is because we've talked about this. General Mattis was always called uh, among other things like the warrior monk. You know, he's a mm-hmm. legend uh, uh, among Marines, uh, the warrior monk, meaning that he was so laser focused on the Marine Corps that he was married to the Marine Corps. He had never mm-hmm. been, I don't think he had been married before. Maybe he was married at an earlier age, but he's, he, he, he was not uh, for the whole of his career. For the and, vast majority of his career. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and one of the reasons he gave was that he was dedicated solely to the military and his mission as a military leader. And uh, so this is a, a significant thing. You know, you see mm-hmm. this guy, if you've ever heard him speak or you've ever been on an event with him, or you watch the videos of him speaking, like he's, he is profoundly smart, uh, strategically intelligent, um, and, and knows his way around. Like people loved this guy, right in the Marine Corps. Like this was uh, the again a legend among legends. You can actually go look on the internet. If you Google something like General Mattis quotes, oh yeah, the the things he said. Uh, there's one famous quote. It goes something like he was in Afghanistan meeting with a bunch of elders, mm-hmm. yeah, a, a bunch of tribal elder elders, and he said. And I'm paraphrasing here. And this was one of those ones that made him famous, but something along the lines of, I come in peace. I didn't bring my artillery, but I swear with tears in my eyes that if you betray us, I will, like he said something like, what we will do will be taught in history classes a thousand years from now or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like just these, like really, I mean, I, I know some people listen to this and they're like, whoa, we shouldn't be talking like that. This is military language. This is this is strategic leadership talk. It's it's the threats that military leadership makes against each other. You know, Russia my, and Ukraine are doing that thing to each other right now. You know, my favorite Mattis quote is: uh, "Be professional, be polite, and have a plan to kill everyone you meet." Yep. <laughs> it, 
so taking it away from the military and spinning it into like a professional setting, you're not physically killing everyone you meet. Right. But your objective is to be the top performer. Yeah. So kill them with your performance. So yeah. you, you need to be professional. You need to be polite. You need to be, you know, you need to be that pro. But at the yep. same time, don't be scared to be competitive and go out right. there and, and swing that axe, you know? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So check out General Mattis quotes online. Yep. Yep. Uh, it's it's not unlike the uh, the Chuck Norris websites, the, the, all of the, the, the Chuck Norris <laughs> yeah. sayings like Chuck Norris doesn't do push ups. He pushes the earth down. Yeah. There are there are similar sayings, probably not in abundance uh, about General Mattis. Uh, and I know, you know, here's the other thing. There was there was some politicization politicization of his career as he became a department, the secretary of defense mm -hmm. uh, under Donald Trump, uh, which didn't last very long. But uh, I think outside of that, you know, of course, when, any, when anybody takes a political seat on a cabinet, then suddenly everything goes out the window and, uh, and, and all of the accomplishments over the last 30 or 40 years are suddenly right like right politicized, out. right. Yeah. The, and the person is tarnished. But I do believe that, uh, you know, General Mattis was a he he was a key player in uh, in in the the battles in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan and the successes of the United States Marine Corps and the and just the promotion of that aggressive culture that Marines, uh, if I'm using the, the right word, enjoy. I mean, I think that that's something that makes us unique is that the Marine Corps is not for everybody, and if it were, then anybody could do it. And uh, General Mattis embodied that. Uh, as a as a marine leader but uh, also kind of became a hero to other marines uh, St steve's coming back with another one he's got a general mattis quote uh we'll throw that one up uh steve's favorite quote um from the then secretary of defense mattis uh, they didn't make koreans that tall last time i was here um i'm not familiar with that one i don't know when and where that one was said but uh he was speaking to my counterpart <laughs> okay so yeah, he uh, apparently while he was visiting Korea, he was speaking with some uh, soldiers over there in Korea, and you know that was uh, that was quoted from General Mattis, or I guess at this point the Secretary of Defense Mattis. But yep. uh, yeah, apparently uh, the 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 female he is married to is a psychiatrist. He met her in a bar. I saw a photo on one of the the Facebook Marine Corps groups I'm part of uh, that says General Mattis getting married in Vegas by an Elvis impersonator to a woman he met in a bar is the most Marine Corps thing that has ever happened. Yep. <laughs> it's, like I said, I would expect this from, you know, you know, Lance Corporal Schmuckatelli, yep. but uh, you know, good old general Mattis out there doing it like everybody else. So good, good for him. Good for him. So um, another one that I, I saw online the other day and uh, I, I saved it and sent it to you this morning. I wanted to talk about it. Uh, it's plenty of places have, have it over the internet. The, the one I'm looking at is from the businessinsider.com. Uh, new Israeli military technology allows operators to see through walls. Hmm. Uh, so there is a company called Camerotech. It claims that their new Xavier 1000 is an essential system for military's law enforcement intelligence units and search and rescue teams. Uh, so using an AI-based tracking algorithm, supposedly when you uh, put this uh, device up against a wall, um, I'm assuming using some sort of heat signatures and things of that nature. Um, it is then able to show you roughly what it believes is on the other side of that wall. Hmm. It can penetrate through most common building materials. Um, a business insider did reach out to Camaro tech for comment, but it did not immediately receive a response. Um, so I'm actually kind of interested, uh, you know, how this all got out. Obviously the company's not the one putting it out there. Uh, but I think this is uh, something that could, the way we've seen the past handful of conflicts where there's a lot more yeah. uh, you know, inner city fighting and battles, uh, this could probably save thousands of lives if it uh, works properly. I, I think if we, if, if, if you were a good steward of uh, watching your military movies before or after you went in the military, um, you would know about the movie called Navy Seals with Charlie Sheen back in the, I don't know, the early nineties. Did you ever see that one? Navy SEALs, Charlie Sheen. I'm sure I have. It's probably been uh, quite some time, though. So uh, there was a sniper, and his call sign was God. And and so, at, you know, at one point in time in the movie, one of the Navy SEALs falls through the floor, and he's, like, stuck in this combat area, like, inside of this building they were clearing, and he fell through, like, a hole in the floor, and he's kind of stuck, and he's talking on the radio. He's like, God, God. And then some... <laughs> 
enemy combatant walks up to him and goes, your God does not help you now. And he's actually talking to the sniper who was sitting across the street with like yeah. a 50 caliber uh, rifle. But anyway, God had a, uh, a thermal scope and he could see through walls on the movie. So I'm pretty sure we've had this technology, at least according to Hollywood now, for roughly 30 years since Charlie Sheen was a Navy SEAL in uh, in Navy SEALs. Well, I, I I was thinking about this the other night. I know we've had you know technology that can capture heat signatures and at least kind of give you an idea of where in a building you know these heat signatures coming from. But the ability to understand what those heat signatures are coming off of mm -hmm. is it. You know, uh, especially for like a hostage situation, if you're just getting heat signatures on the other side of the wall, you have no idea if it is the cap doors, you know, or, or who it is. Uh, so according uh, to the company, <clears throat> excuse me, it can detect presence of life in rooms, the number of people and their distance from the system, target height, orientation and the general layout of the space. The technology can display live objects behind walls in such high resolution that it can detect whether a person is sitting standing, lying down, or even if they have been motionless for a significant period. Uh, significant, uh, I'm sorry, specific body parts are also detectable, the company said. Hmm. You know, for those individuals out there searching for headshots, maybe. Um, definitely interesting. I would love to see this thing operate. I think this is something, it just, it tickles my curiosity. I, I'd love to witness this thing in action. Yeah, you you look at this, though. I mean, I, I, I definitely see the application for, like, hostage situations or, or understanding, like, you know, limiting collateral damage if you know that there are bad guys in the room and there are also good guys in the room too. The the problem that I see with this is it's like it seems like a really high tech piece of equipment. Somebody's got to carry that now. If you think about it from a military capacity, uh, for quite some time, like I went through the anti armor school at Camp Pendleton, and I had to learn how to use the javelin missile system. And the javelin missile system is in and of itself, and, and so is the small rocket. If you remember the smas, those are clunky uh heavy i say clunky it's not like a tube that you carry around it's a tube with like a weapon system attached to it so that yeah. the if you know the javelin missile if you look up a picture of that you have the clue which is like basically this big headset big video game system with like buttons and triggers on it and then you attach a, a missile tube to the top of that that fires a javelin missile out of it somebody's got to carry all that stuff yeah and, and that thing is hundreds of thousands of dollars right and it's got all these electronic components, advanced equipment, stuff like that. I don't want to be the guy who has to carry around the, uh, the, the, the wall camera, the, whatever they call that. What do they call it? What do they call it? What was uh, it? The company, the company calls it the Xavier 1000. The Xavier 1000. I don't want to be the guy that's carrying that around that somebody spent $400,000 on buying. Yeah. And then I trip and fall and like, <laughs> it shows, it shows, it shows a soldier uh, mounting this thing to the wall or holding it up to the wall, potentially. Um, it looks like it's got four panels that fold out. So it's one main square panel with four smaller panels that then fold out almost like a, um, like a photographer's big lighting system. Yep. Um, and then there's a tripod that it seems to be sitting on top of, and it has a 10.1 uh, touch screen on there. It says it can be operated with minimal training by one individual. But like you said, someone in this case, in the picture, the, this individual, uh, is probably lugging this thing around. I, yeah, it doesn't look like it's terribly heavy, um, but let's be honest, there's plenty of things in the service that don't look like they're going to be a burden. Right. And, you know, for whatever reason, they're made of lead. So. Well, and, and well, they have to be durable. That's the thing. If oh, you're yeah. carrying around in combat, you know, and you're thinking about think about who's carrying this. Right. It's a it's a 22 year old. It's a 19 year old, uh, you know, unless law enforcement's using it and they, they got it packed up on like a SWAT truck or something like that. Yeah. It's probably handled with kid gloves. But. In the military, the guys carrying this type of equipment are not always concerned with the well-being of the equipment. I mean, we, we took care of our weapons in terms of cleaning and like, you know, in the Marine Corps, if you dropped your rifle, then you had to follow it and do push-ups. So you, you never abused your weapon. There was plenty of other gear that was knocked around quite a bit. I, I was doing amphibious raids with Fox Company 2-1, uh, and, and this was... Uh, this was the, you know, I guess, the precursor to what the Marine Raiders are now. The, the raid companies would go out and do these Zodiac raids. And so all of our stuff had to be uh, what, like, waterproofed and, and protected because we're out in the ocean on Zodiacs for hours and hours. And so I had my night vision goggles wrapped up in a plastic garbage bag, like a glad bag, double wrapped probably. And at one point in time, we all went to get some chow. 
And so we had a gear guard because we weren't, we didn't want to carry all of our stuff around. So mm-hmm. mine and a handful of other guys, optics and stuff like that got stowed in the middle of the rifle stack. And at some point in time, somebody police called that area and picked up those trash bags and threw them in the dumpster. And we didn't realize it until all the gear had been picked up and we were ready to go. And then suddenly my, my night vision goggles are missing. So these are serialized gear in the Marine Corps. If, if you recall, it's almost as bad as losing a weapon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought my career was over and I'm like, I don't want to carry it's, it's the, you know, it's a 21 year old kid, 20 year old kid. I'm like, I don't want to carry any of this stuff anymore because like we're on the move and like, what happens if the boat tips over and I lose my night vision goggles? And like, how do I explain that? Um, anyway, I recovered my night vision goggles, but that those, I think my understanding, like those were four or $5,000. Oh yeah. It's, oh, yeah. it's not really expensive compared to what the military spends money on, but I have to imagine the Xavier equipment here. Uh, just as the javelin missile clue system is probably hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, you actually brought up a good point. Um, so like, they, you know, this company is saying it's great for military. It's great for, uh, you know, police, you know, you brought up, if it's on a SWAT vehicle, it can stay and live in that SWAT vehicle until it's needed, essentially. Yep. Um, you know, that SWAT vehicle is going to respond to those instances where that sort of equipment may need to be used. Uh, if you're clearing a city, uh, you and your 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 platoon are clearing the west side of of you know uh, an enemy city. You're going from building to building. Someone is carrying that around. It may get to that city on a Humvee or a five ton or whatever it is. Uh, but once it's time to start clearing the buildings, someone is carrying that thing around and lugging mm-hmm. it from building to building, from room to room. And that's uh, really where that damage can come into play. Uh, yeah, you know, Matt, I, this jogged my memory, and I don't have the exact numbers. I don't remember them, uh, but it's something about the remote that was used to control, um, essentially, the telescopes on U.S. submarines, mm-hmm. the periscopes. I'm sorry, um, a crazy amount of money, twenty some thousand dollars for these yep. remote controls. Um, recently, they found out that with slight modifications, a thirty dollar Xbox controller can do the exact same thing. <laughs> So, you know, I was actually talking to some people at work about this and they say, how do you think they figured that out? I said, well, some E2, E3 that was controlling this thing probably broke, lost or destroyed the, you know, $20,000 yep. remote and goes, yep. oh my God, they're going to kill me. They're going to boot me off this boat. Um, figured out that maybe I can make my Xbox controller work on yeah. this. <laughs> and probably well, engineered away. And uh, yeah, like I know nothing about submarine periscopes but i i do know like i used to have a remote control airplane and i'm <laughs> somebody's going to listen to this and be like wait a minute i know all about you know periscopes and stuff like that and that's not it at all matt but i, I used to have a remote control airplane and if you know how a remote control airplane works it has servos it has like little motors that move parts and so you have ailerons and rudders and stuff on the airplane and then you 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 compound that with your controller and the controller like when i push up on the stick it's it's making the ailerons and the tail fins move the aircraft down, right? So it's I, I would say in theory, it's probably a similar type of thing. You're you're operating servos. If you can if you make the servos or the motors move a certain way by certain commands or certain inputs, that's how you're moving things up and down and left and right and and, and you're doing all those different things. I, I pulled uh, up a quick article here on GeekWire. The U.S. Navy is swapping thirty-eight thousand dollars. So I was off by uh, about eighteen grand. Yeah, thirty-eight thousand dollar periscope joysticks for thirty-dollar Xbox controllers. Uh, so essentially, yeah, it's it's the the. Yeah. I've never I, I've played Xbox. I think twice in my entire life. Yeah. Uh, the little joysticks though, do the exact same thing as the joysticks they were using before. That, for some reason, cost thirty-eight thousand dollars. Yeah. Um. But yeah, on these high-tech subs, there are uh you know Navy seamen out there using. Xbox controllers. So. Well, and it, it, think about this. Like who's making all this equipment, right? It's it's a, a government or it's a military contractor. They make mm-hmm. this equipment and they made it at some point in time because they said that this has to be durable. It has to work under pressure. It has to work in EMP situations. It has to work in power failures. It has to work during all these things. And in a lot of cases, so I think people misunderstand this as well. Like the infantry using the weapons, they might give input or feedback uh in terms of like how these weapons work or operate, but they're not the experts on how to develop or design the weapons, right? They, they just say like, here's what we need. Like the, you think about the, the input of drones in Afghanistan and Iraq, 
we started sending in little like man pack drones. You could pull it out of a backpack and fly over a town and see where the bad guys were. Uh, that was out of necessity. The infantry didn't develop those. Some some contractor developed those and made them durable and what they needed to be. So that contractor come back and be like, yeah, no, I mean, this drone costs us 40 grand to make. So the military's paying 40 grand to make could be a $300 piece of equipment, you know, <laughs> but we, we wouldn't know because we don't have a reference of that. Now I can go to the hobby shop down the street and I can buy a drone, like a quadcopter with a high definition camera on it that operates pretty durably. I can crash it into a tree and it'll still run for three or 400 bucks. Right. So they're probably as the technology advances and you start to realize that some of these things work without paying 38 grand for them. That's probably how this goes, right? That's just, it's just the nature of the beast. Now you can mass produce things like, uh, like quadcopters with high definition cameras on that. You can recognize personnel. There was a movie recently that came out, um, act of valor. I think it was the one with the starring real Navy seals. This came out eight years ago, maybe. Uh, but in, in that movie, they had drones that they would fly over a camp. They were rescuing a hostage and the drone flew over camp and the drone would draw little boxes around what it identified as people. I don't know if it actually works that way. We didn't have that kind of technology when I was in, I'm sure that we do have like well beyond that technology, but that's aside from that feature where it's like identifying that there are human beings walking around, it's probably identifying motion as it's flying over and body heat signatures, Mm -hmm. uh, the drone itself couldn't cost any more than $200 to manufacture. It's styrofoam and cameras. Uh, Steve is, uh, is really, is really helping us out today. Uh, Steve, again, with another comment, EOD bomb disposal bots use PlayStation controllers. So, you know, um, <clears throat> I was just thinking about this with esports becoming one of the, the quickest and fastest growing, you know, genre of sports out there. Uh, I think the military, it just makes sense. You have this generation of, of young people that are growing up playing PlayStation, playing Xbox, uh, the eye-hand coordination um, that they've learned through playing all these games uh, is something that nowadays with the sort of technology we continue to see the military uh, uh, you know, come up with and use and install, uh, the, these individuals that have that great eye-hand coordination for your drone pilots, uh, you know, for these periscope operators, things of that nature, uh, these kids are set up to be fantastic at these jobs. Well, the, the technology just continues to improve. If you can, mm-hmm. if you can now, I mean, think about, think about our cell phone. Think about your phone that you hold in your pocket, right? Mm-hmm. If, if there's a meme that floats around on social media, but it's a guy standing in front of a VCR, a TV, a microphone, a, a video camera, a regular camera, he's got all these things, a tape recorder and it's a table full of stuff. And now all of those are in here. There's mm-hmm. more processing power in my iPhone 13 Max Pro or whatever this is than a computer had 15 years ago, 10 yeah. years ago, maybe. So the technology gets smaller and smaller. You can do more with less. I can now send messages and call 20 people at a time. And I can have video conferences and build PowerPoint slides and stuff like that on a, on a phone. Uh, it makes sense that your military technology and the things that we used to consider high tech. I mean, who knows? Maybe again, if you're familiar with the clue on a, the the targeting system on a javelin missile, this big bulky, it looks like a TV screen with like an eye viewer thing and joystick handles. Uh, Imagine if it is this size, you can do all of the same heat signature and target locking and all that stuff on something this size. Then you've got a dude carrying two of these around inside of his vest and there's not, 20 pounds of weight and other things. You still got to carry the missile though. It's, <laughs> it's the way the evolution goes. Yeah, absolutely. I've tried to, you know, tell my kids, uh, Hey, when, when I went to school, when we first got computers in the schools, you know, I would stand around, uh, playing a game called Oregon trail and I would stand in a circle and spin around and try mm-hmm. to shoot a bear. Yeah. Uh, and, and hope my kid didn't die of, of, you know, the flu or whatever yeah. other disease. And I was like, you know, if I wanted to learn about something, we had a, a, huge bookshelf in the house and we yep. had the full set of encyclopedia Britannica's. Yeah. And let's say I wanted to know about, uh, the war 1812, I'd have to go find, you know, the one for W and pull it down and yep. skim through it. till I found like, literally I can get on, you know, my device type in war of 1812 and it'll come up with what seems to be an endless, 
Uh, there you get there it is. War of 1812. And, and, and while you were talking about it, I have yeah, yeah an endless stream of information. Yeah, I mean, you obviously Wikipedia is going to be there, but you're going to have uh, you know like historical websites, things like that that are you know there's going to be websites that are highlighting individuals that were part of that conflict as well. You you would just it's a it's a overload of information these yeah. days. But I I try to let them know like I get that it sometimes seems overwhelming and tough. It's a lot easier than it than it used to be. The girls, I promise well, you that. Can you remember? Like, I remember writing papers in high school and and trying to go research information in the library, and I had to go mm. to like the community library and the high school library, and I'd be like looking at a book and like typing quotes and stuff like that. I don't know, and maybe teachers now have things that they can run a paper through to make sure that nobody's they, plagiarized they something. Do. Yeah, but back then you had to actually like write it out and cite the quote. Now mm -hmm. you could somebody just copy and paste an entire book report. And have all of that information at their fingertips, which is great. It's it's just a, a sign of how fast things have changed and how oh, the yeah. technology has has advanced. You could effectively research your entire paper and get all of the books you need. That's the other thing. When I started going to college, I had to go buy all the books, and <laughs> and then they had like ebooks, and half of them weren't ebooks, and it was really hard and difficult to like download them and read them. I'm sure they're all on my my iPhone now. I can just yeah. I can I can purchase it all. I, the other thing I recognize is that we totally sound like our parents uh, having this conversation. Back yeah. in my day, we yeah. didn't even have books. <laughs> it, you know, it, it's well. You know, we are we are getting to that certain point. And you know what? I'm not uh, discrediting any being we're, we're talking about the military. I'm not discrediting any member of the military that's in there today. No. What they're doing uh, takes a skill set that they evolved from their upbringing, and it is very valuable. Um, yeah. What my skill set was needed for back then was different. Right. And it's, it's all, Hey, we weren't um, standing on the side of wooden ships with uh, leather wrapped around our necks to protect us from, right. you know, swords, uh, you know, because times had changed for the Marines by right. the time we got in. So, yeah. and this is just the next step. And, and in another 20 years, it'll be completely different than it is today. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's all, it all has to do with like microprocessors and technology evolution and, and, and all kinds of stuff and, and, and the future battles. I mean, look at the, the U S space force and yeah. satellite technology. We can read license plates from outer space. You don't need, in some cases, you, you don't need the airplane flying over, taking pictures anymore. Mm -hmm. It's, it's why like the SR 71 Blackbird is a retired aircraft that was virtually impossible to track down and shoot down. It would fly at like Mach three, you know, it wasn't the, the dark star or whatever from Top Gun. Uh, what's it called? Is that what it's called? Dark star? It's something like that. Yeah. I forget what it was. But, but you know, the SR 71 was designed, it, it literally had high power cameras in the belly of it and they'd fly over Russia or North Korea or near and take pictures of facilities and stuff like that. We have satellites that just hover over, yeah. uh, you know, they, they, a satellite probably passes over any given point with cameras on it every couple of minutes, take some pictures. You see these pictures on news stories sometimes like, yeah. look, the North Koreans have moved their uh, missile truck from this place to that place. You know, mm -hmm. um, it's, yeah, we, it's, we were talking about China, you know, uh, uh, building replicas of our ships and things like that. So yeah, we can, we can yeah. see it all. Uh, yeah. Thusly they can see us, but uh uh, Steve also said something that the the army has an esports team. A former oh. soldier of mine is in it. Um, I've also been to events where the army showed up with their like video game truck. And yeah, this is yeah. the other cool thing. Like we went to the Ismit. We called it the Ismit when I was in the Marine Corps. It was the the digital rifle range where you would go oh, in. Yeah, you'd, yeah, yeah. You'd always have to qualify on live fire, moving targets, and night fire, and known distance courses up to five hundred yards with iron sights. But then you'd go to the Ismit where it would be the video game screens and, you know, you're shooting rifles at targets. And then they actually had in my anti-armor school, they had anti-armor ismit for like javelin and stuff like that. Oh, nice. You'd fire at tanks and, and armor. Um, that was like state of the art 20 years ago. Like that was amazing. I am sure now they're probably throwing on the, you know, the, the Oculus. Yeah. yeah. And, and it probably looks very real and feels very real and you have real scenarios and you're scored upon how you do all that, but you can train, Think about the expense of firing actual missiles and rockets and bullets and stuff like that. You can probably do a lot of the 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 training portion of how to be and where to be and, and how to identify targets and stuff like that all through VR. A, a lot of our anti-armor, uh, the armor recognition was looking at black and white photos in a book. Mm -hmm. Like that's, this is a TI, this is a, you know, 
T91 or whatever, or T90, you know, this yeah. is the Russian BMP. This is the whatever, whatever. We had to recognize all those based on visual identification from flipping through a binder of photos, of black and white photos. It's probably all in color with actual pictures these days. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> or it might be video clips so you can actually see how the, the machine moves. Yeah. Right. Or or what it sounds like or yeah. where its exhaust port is. That's how we identified LTMBs, long turret, uh, long LBMTs, long body, medium turret. Uh, uh, they identified these like, well, it has, you know, six wheels and a final drive wheel on the side and the tracks are not elevated to, you know, other suspension wheels. And the turret will look like this with the, I can't remember some of the terminology, but turrets on tank guns have a, uh, there's like a, 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 a bump in the turret and it, it'd be forward or backwards or right in the middle. I can't remember what that bump is called. Hopefully somebody watching that knows armor knows what that thing is called. And then I'm going to see the word and I'm going to remember it. But you could identify whether it was a, an allied or non-allied vehicle based on where that where that turret piece was. Oh, wow. Just random stuff like that. You had to, you had to be kind of smart, though, because you had to remember all these things. And you wanted to make sure you weren't uh, shooting at the wrong guys. Yeah. I think that's in the right spot. Let's shoot at it. <laughs> Well, I mean, think about this, like armor in, in conflict generally isn't riding around with a big flag on the back. Yeah. 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 And they have, sometimes they have like a, a symbol painted on the side or some of the American tanks always had names on the turret. Like Mm. they, they, you know, El Jefe or something like that. They they were named. Yeah. They were named something. Yeah. Uh, And it was always a cool, interesting name, but they didn't always have identification on you think about these things are driving through the desert at 50 miles an hour and they've got sand and dirt kicking up and they're covered in mud or whatever is that our good guys or are those our bad guys you know so um absolutely that's good stuff yeah uh kind of talking about how the military changes given you know new generations and time passing uh right now we we took we talked about it a few weeks ago how all of the military branches are currently facing a bit of a struggle when it comes to recruiting so the army is currently tossing the mandate for potential recruits to have a high school diploma or GED certificate to enlist in the service. Um, so this is army's response to the recruiting crisis that is hitting the entire department of defense. Uh, recruits must at least be 18 years old and otherwise qualify for a job in the active duty army. They have to score a minimum of a 50 on the ASVAB test. Uh, if you're not familiar with the ASVAB test, it is an SAT style quiz to measure uh, potential recruits' academic ability. Uh, currently, the uh, minimum score to gain entrance into the U.S. military is a 31. For anyone that is going to attempt to join the military, or in this case, the Army, uh, without the high school diploma or the GED, must score 50. So, uh, you know, the, the kids coming out of high school that are going to graduate, uh, that high school diploma acts as almost a certificate of, hey, I have some sort of ability to learn things and then uh, show that I've retained some of that knowledge, uh, despite the fact that maybe I only scored a 40 on the ASVAB. Uh, These individuals need to score that 50 because they don't have that low certificate that says, hey, you know, we've put the time and effort in and we've uh, gotten certain scores. Um, Yeah, I think this is um, interesting to say the least. It's a, it's a, I don't know. I think it's a, it's a quick draw answer to a long-term problem. I don't think this is something they're going to want to um, continue to keep in place for long-term. Um, but if it starts to get more people, uh, you know, into the army and into the armed forces, you know, hopefully these individuals, uh, you know, work out and they, they become good soldiers. Yeah. One of the stats that we often cite when we're talking about why we should be hiring military on the outside is that the military uh, and, and the veteran population and the active duty military population is, better educated than their civilian counterparts by comparison. So there's more high school diplomas, college degrees, and advanced degrees in that set of age group uh, than by comparison to the whole population in the United States. Um, I think a couple of things are happening here. One, you know, the, the military may or may not be gearing up for or trying to maintain manpower just in case the world goes into conflict. And I think we're always ready for that. We have the one of the largest standing militaries and the well uh, best funded military in the world. Um, when I talk to counterparts in other countries, sometimes we're talking about building military programs in, in other countries. I've, I've come to find out through my research that like our smallest branch 
of the military is sometimes larger than the entirety of some other countries' militaries. I think our the U.S. Navy, its budget is larger than the next 11 navies combined. So we have these, we have to maintain this, let's call it a 1.6 or 1.8 million person standing army, standing military. Uh, and the U.S. Army is the largest of those, and it has operations, and it 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 depends on manpower. Uh, a couple of things have happened. We've been in a lull in action. You know, if you remember, right after nine eleven, and and for the years following, everybody who wanted to go, you know, share that victory and sign up and wear a uniform, was like, I mean, I have tons of friends. I can't tell you how many people I know that joined the military, joined the infantry or something like that, mm-hmm. like the day after 9-11. They were like, I'm going to fight. I'm going to go join the military. Um, a couple of stats I'll cite here. Uh, 75%, I think, is the number. I could be off. Uh, if somebody knows better, correct me. But I think the last time I looked, 75% of military-aged men and women are in about, ineligible for military service in the United States due to health reasons due to criminality or educational reasons, meaning they don't have the proper education. Uh, that's probably an easy one to get by. And it sounds like maybe that's what the army is thinking here. Like, well, mm-hmm. if that eliminates 20% of the population, let's just open the door and say, you still got to score high. You still got to get a decent score if you're lacking a high school education, but that opens the aperture to get additional people that they wouldn't have otherwise gotten. You can't, it's probably not a good idea to go away from, uh, exclusions of criminality and and healthcare. Uh, if somebody's coming in with a se- severe healthcare condition, uh, you probably don't want them to be able to sign up for the military because that w- might cause a problem down the road. That person, it might exacerbate that issue. Uh, and in almost all cases, almost every branch of the military has some sort of physical training or physical fitness or something that might put stress on people. Uh, signing up for the military in the first place is a stressful event. You're leaving home generally at the age of 18 or 19, or you're a young officer uh, getting out of college and, and joining. And uh, as we all know, I think there's a back end piece of this too. If you have medical conditions that are exacerbated by military service, then the VA might have to take care of you for the, for the rest of your life with you know funding and, and doctor's appointments and medical care. So, so like I said, 75%-ish of the US population is ineligible for military service. But uh, we we talk a lot about what incentivizes people to join the military, like who joins the military and why. You know, people are joining mm-hmm. for pay. They're joining for college money. They're joining like me. I didn't have any idea how much I was getting paid. I just wanted to go join the military. Like it was something that I decided to do when I was six years old and I just carried I carried on with it. Um, I think what we're experiencing now is, again, a lack of combat operations, a lack of patriotic motivation for people to join. Uh, we're in one of those tough labor markets where jobs are paying more than they ever have right now. And mm-hmm. so people are like, well, why would I go join the military? And I, I think when I was in the Marines uh, on a deployment, we calculated that I was making $2.13 per hour based on all the work that I did. And then after taxes, that's how much money I was getting. Yep. Uh, that, that's not a dig on the Marine Corps. I wouldn't trade it for the world. It was a, it was a great place and a great experience. Well, Matt, <clears throat> talking about, you know, how the overall job market, uh, the civilian job market, along with the, the military right now, um, the civilian markets, it's a lot easier for them to just say, you know, that mom and pop mechanic shop down the road that can't get a mechanic tech in there uh, says, all right, we'll bump our starting pay by $3 an hour. Yeah. Uh, now, all of a sudden, you know, you've gone three weeks without one application coming in and you bump your starting pay up by $3 an hour. Uh, within you know that first five days, you have five applicants. Yep. Uh, the for the military, it's a little little harder. You know, they they need uh, the government to push through um, some new rules and regulations in mm-hmm. order to get things moving. Um, so this is a way for them to kind of uh, quickly maybe pivot off that. But you've spoke in the past, you personally, I've I've heard you talk about these sort of things. There's other things that the military could be doing. You know, it might not be initially. It might not be, hey, you're going to make an extra $10,000 a year, uh, you know, during your time in service. But there are things that the military could be doing to help individuals post-military to possibly bring more people in. What are some of those things? You know, the the Army started a campaign years ago, and I haven't seen these recently. I haven't seen a whole lot of Army campaigns on TV at all. I see a lot of, 
I have seen a lot of Air Force that I recall, maybe some Navy, a lot of Marines. Um, the Army started a campaign years ago where it was a drill instructor walking through a platoon of people like, why'd you join the Army? Because I wanted to be a soldier. Why'd you join the Army? Because I wanted something, you know, I wanted to join the infantry. And then he finally gets to this person like, why'd you join the Army? And the guy's like, because I want to be a graphic designer. And so it was opening this, uh, again, this door that was like, well, it's not just infantry. It's not just a bunch of people. I was talking about stats before. 13, 15% of the U.S. military are combat arms. Mm -hmm. These are people carrying machine guns and weapons and special operations and and doing combat-related jobs. The other vast majority of the U.S. military are not those things. They are logisticians. They're nurses. They're doctors. I mean, they're veterinarians. They're aircraft mechanics, tank mechanics, vehicle mechanics, drivers, pilots. You think about that, you, you bust that back to what Delta Airlines looks like. Guess what else Delta Airlines has? Pilots, mechanics, HR people. Uh, the stewardesses, the ground right. control, uh, you know, baggage all, people. Yeah, all or many logisticians, all or many of the same things that the military has, corporate America has. So you think about the U.S. military, it's, it's one gigantic corporation. Uh, or, or corporate function. It's not a corporate function. It's funded by taxpayers, but it has the same elements that a, a company does. So people join the military without really understanding that in many cases. Now, mm-hmm. there are some, there are very few probably. I'd say more officers join the military with the understanding that this is a progression of their career than do enlisted who join because they want to join or for whatever other reasons. Um, I think one of the biggest items is and it's just, a, it depends on what that branch wants. Like you look at the Marine Corps commercials and it's infantry breaching a wall and running in an assaulting objective. That is, you know, back in the day, it was the Marine Corps. It was the Marine with the sword. Oh, slaying the dragon. Slaying yeah. the lava monster, right? Lava monster, there you go. Uh, but it was like the few, the proud, the Marines. You were kind of watching this like, wow, like this dude just transformed into this, you know, this battle hardened, you know, machine. Yeah. And now he's slaying the lava monster. It's similar in these days. Well, now it's Marines assaulting an objective, and that's the culture they're trying to portray. They're not looking for the techie person necessarily. They're looking for somebody who wants to breach a wall and run in with a rifle. Uh, the Navy, the Air Force, and probably the Army are are looking for a different type of person. And I believe that if they're not already, they need to continue to push that whole narrative that the military is not all a bunch of people running around with machine guns and rifles. Uh, it's not all airborne paratroopers. It's not all special operations. Some of these things, you, I remember some of the Navy commercials. Again, not a dig on any of these branches, but the the Navy commercials always made it look like everybody was a Navy SEAL or everybody was operating in like a dark room full of radar screens, like this super cool looking Hollywood-esque, like this is what it is. Um, the big piece that I'd say here is they promote that idea that you, know, you got programs that we've talked about before, like Skillbridge. Mm-hmm. We talk about Skillbridge right now. It is my firm belief, and I've said this in other venues, that if everybody transition, transitions out of the military with a really solid, well-paying job or a really solid opportunity to come join whatever it is they want to do, whether it is the mechanic shop down the street or to be the COO of a company one day, if everybody gets out of the military with that opportunity to seamlessly transition into a career field or a job family or something like that, that leads them to a well-paid salary. Uh, it is my, it is my firm belief that more people will want to join the military because you mm-hmm. get the education benefits already. You get the healthcare benefits already. You can take care of your family. You can do all this stuff, go to college, get a degree almost completely paid for, if not completely paid for, and then get out and transition, transition into a 60, 70, 80, 90, hundred thousand dollar a year job. That acts like the same reason why people go to Harvard. Why do people go to Harvard? Because they want a degree from Harvard? X number of of graduates of Harvard uh, enter the workforce at $130,000. Right. And they go, or more. Yeah. Yeah. They are are business leaders. They are CEOs. They are executives. And I'm not saying, not ever, like I have, I have no desire to be a CEO of a big company, right? Like that's not even in my game plan. It's not something that is, is of interest. Not everybody wants to take that path, but what what is appealing to people, we just talked about it a minute ago. If if people are not joining the military now because the mechanic shop down the street or the burger place down the street is paying more than what that person might earn in the military and they're able to stay put and raise their family and kids and do all the things they're going to do anyway. If the military offered, well, hey, how about this? After a service of four years, 
as a logistician, a load master on a C-130, you're not going to be out slinging lead with the Taliban. You're not going to be out, you know, you're not going to be on the Ukrainian and Russian border, like in the middle of a, a gunfight. You're going to be on an airfield 50 miles in the rear, probably in virtually no danger. And oh, by the way, you can take online courses, get your degree or start your degree, finish it up when you get out, have four years of GI Bill that pays for your entire career. No student loan debt. And oh, also now you get this internship with a Fortune 500 company to plug into a job that might potentially pay you $80,000 a year as a E6 transitioning out of the military. Yeah. Tell me where that's wrong. Yeah. And there's not a promotion of this. There's a there's a missing element here that we're not talking about. Uh, companies are talking about. We, we're talking about it because we gain some of the best talent in the world through these programs. But when you're looking at the the services are based on, they're focused on bringing people into the military and training them and transitioning them into the military. They're, mm -hmm. They spend months and years and hundreds or millions of dollars, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in turning Tim Keller into a combat engineer, but then two days in turning you into a civilian again. Yeah. Right? So yeah. people get out and we've seen generations upon generations of people falling on their faces after military service. And, and again, that statistic is low. We see this stat that rolls around about veteran suicide rates, 22 a day. Um, PTSD is one of those things that dominates the headlines, right? Statistically, those are small. Statistically, most of us are not broken or we don't have these issues. Uh, that's a, a narrative that is very dramatic, but there are enough people that that do suffer from these, these different items and these different issues. And I was one of them. I was one of them who for years, I had a really hard time coming back out of the military, out of whatever we were doing in the Marine Corps and becoming a, what, what I always said was like, it's, it's years and years of let's blow things up and shoot at targets and spend time overseas and what, you know, be in countries where there's no such thing as toilet paper or clean water. And then you are expected to come back to the United States uh, and act like a normal person again. Mm -hmm. Right. And, mm -hmm. and then you exacerbate that with people who have been in combat for eight months, 16 months, 24 months at a time, five years at a time, how do they ever come back, right? So then they're like, hey, come back. We're going to give you two days or a week or two weeks of transitions. You know, write your resume, open a bank account, do investments. And and then thanks for your service, get out. The VA is going to take you from here. That's not, that's not good enough. The problem yeah. is it becomes very expensive to take care of people. So what is good enough is if you were to allow everybody three or four months to go work at a company, to go transition out of the military, make that, that landing a little bit softer. I got to move my family from California to Ohio and I've already got a job lined up and now I'm learning a job. It's a test drive. Uh, I don't have any metrics or KPIs to meet at this point. I'm just trying to learn the job and I'm shaking hands and meeting people. I mean, imagine how fruitful that is. And then, oh, by the way, if I do well in this, now I've got the job landed. I don't have to come home and then try to figure out how I'm going to feed my family. Yeah. Yeah. It's Matt, we, we, you know, we, we talked, I want to say this was probably three months ago or so. We were talking about how uh, many people that um, are in the medical field, in the military, uh, you know, and they're, and they're passionate about helping people that need medical attention and help. Uh, they get out of the military and then realize none of the schooling I've gone through, none of what I've learned transfers over at all into the civilian world. Yep. I have to start completely over. And for many of them, they just, I'm not doing it again. I'm not going through mm -hmm. the same courses. I'm not going to sit there and be bored because I've not only already read or watched videos on all these things, I've probably done most of this myself already out there on the battlefield. Um, you know, so yeah, I think the, um, <clears throat> Being able to certify people, uh, you know, if it's if it's you know for the people in the medical field, if it's getting people a, a commercial driver's license that are part of transportation, if it's uh, you know people that are in uh, you know some sort of plumbing field, they, they get their their apprentice certificates, electrical, whatever it is. That way, when they go out into the civilian world, they're already that that next step up. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not uh, you know, for a long time, I've said it myself when, when, when I got out of the military, it felt like I was four years behind everybody. Yeah. You know, yes. uh, you know, the, the people that stay back, let's say I was an electrician in the Marine Corps. Uh, somebody that went to high school with me that decided to get into electric work now is already through their apprenticeship and they're, mm -hmm. you know, uh, they, they got a company truck, they're, they're, they're foreman on a job where I may have done, uh, just as much, if not more than this individual that I went to high school with, 
but because I don't have any sort of certifications, I'm now the bottom, bottom rung of that ladder. Uh, a couple of names come to mind. You know, we, we all, uh, in the Marines, we had the docs, the corpsman, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Doc Matsky. I deployed with Doc Matsky, Dan Matsky, um, and Doc Knuckles at, uh, at, uh, Charlie company, uh, in first combat engineer battalion. Um, and some of these people I'm still friends with on social media, but these guys had extensive knowledge of, of medical systems and medical mm -hmm. care combat, you know, triage. first responder, yeah, triage. One of them taught me and, and executed, uh, how to do an IV on myself. Uh, I got to do an IV on myself a couple of times. Uh, we were in 29 Palms and it was a thousand degrees out there. And uh, he's like, let's do some IVs. And I'm like, why don't I just do it myself while you're doing it to somebody else? And so with this supervision, like that kind of thing, I have been in situations where there were injuries and the paramedics or the EMTs, maybe not paramedics, they're, they're a little bit higher trained EMTs from a local uh, ambulance service or fire department showed up and didn't know how to put on the neck brace. Right. And I'm standing there putting the neck brace on because somebody taught me that the, what I'm trying to get at is some of the combat corpsmen, some of the Navy corpsmen and, and, and army medics, anybody else who does this type of job, the PJs in the air force, right. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, they are vastly more qualified or better trained than a lot of your, you know, medical technicians that are out here on the road or mm -hmm. somebody who has just a couple of years of, of, of nursing. And again, I'm not, I always have to make this disclaimer. I'm not saying this blindly. I'm just saying from what I've seen and, the, and some of the stuff that these people do, they have, they have days and weeks and months and years of training in practical application in real situations where somebody is bleeding, literally bleeding out and they save a life, right? They're doing surgery on the battlefield. Uh, when they come out and they go try to get a job on an ambulance, they have to go back through the school. They have to go yeah. back and get certified, even though they probably know more than the guy who's been riding on an ambulance for five years. Yeah. You know, um, again, not taking anything away from anybody. That's a, a prime example of one of those certifications that doesn't carry over. Why, why would I want to go back through all that schooling to yeah. go make $60,000 a year when I can go into sales at the logistics company down the street, potentially make a hundred thousand dollars this year? Yeah. You absolutely. know, wh why would, why would anybody take that, that road? So this is a conversation that's been happening for quite some time that, and I don't, I don't know if that necessarily affects people joining the military. Although if you take that back end narrative and say, Hey, look, now you can come get your medical certification and then go work in the hospital. And all of that transfers over. Imagine the people who were like, I always wanted to join the military, but instead I went to nursing school. Well, now you can go to nursing school in the military. Yeah. In the military. Like, like imagine, imagine if that worked out, how many people would come sign up and, and take these different, imagine I wanted to be a logistician. I want to be a load master at Amazon prime. Uh, I want to go work on those aircraft. I want to go do that kind of thing, but I, I don't want to go to school for that. I don't have money to go to school for that. I don't want to take out student loans and be paying back a thousand dollars a month, go in the military, take care of all of that, and then come out. That needs to be the commercial. That's yeah, how absolutely. it, that's how it operates. Absolutely. Uh, you know, someone that's in accounting, um, you know, maybe they don't come out as a, as certified CPA, but they have certain credits or, or certain certificates that have them well on their way to becoming a yep. CPA. Uh, you know, there's, there's, there are, are there, there's lawyers and judges in the military. Uh, you yep. get out, uh, maybe you don't have, you know, uh, all the credentials to pass, you know, whatever your home, Pennsylvania for me, I don't get to come out and just say, Oh, I've passed the bar in PA. I, passed the bar. Yeah. I, I have, I have certifications and qualifications that, um, are going to get me a seat in the next bar exam or something to that yeah. effect, you know, well, and, things like and, that. And in, in the United States, we're 500,000 nurses and healthcare professionals behind. We've been talking mm -hmm. about this for years. I, I've, yeah. I've been privy to that conversation. And instead uh, of being able to plug and play people coming out of the military with medical backgrounds and training, we're saying yeah. you need to now go back and retrain. So they go do something else. Yeah. And I, I go to career fair after career fair. I talk to, I mean, I probably talk to hundreds of people who are like, yeah, I'm a corpsman or I'm a medic or I'm a, I work in the hospital here on the base at Fort Hood or whatever. I have eight years of this. I'm like, so do you want to stay in, in healthcare? And they're like, no, I want to go do sales. I'm like, why? They're like, cause I don't want to, the answer is usually this sort of like laughter, like, cause I don't want to go through all that again. Yeah. That's a, it's a pretty sad prospect. You know, mm -hmm. it's a, it's a pretty frightening prospect that we need healthcare professionals and we're not one of the best resources and most renewable resources of talent can't produce it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so 
you know, what, what can a candidate do in transition? You, you listed a couple of things here. Yeah. And you already talked about Skillbridge. Seek out Skillbridge or the Hiring Our Heroes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, th- those are two, uh, probably the two biggest. There's there's other ones out there, but, you know, especially with the Skillbridge, the more I, I read and learn about it, uh, you know, man, had, had this been available to us when we were getting ready to transition ourselves, Matt, uh, what a game changer this is. Yeah. Uh, if you were lucky enough to get in on the Skillbridge program, uh, you know, uh, you've, you've been blessed and I hope you take every opportunity you can there. Uh, the next one you have is network. Um, yeah. well, you know, you have network on LinkedIn. I would say network period. Um, well, look at this, like Steve, I've talked to okay. Steve a couple of times. Steve even put on here, he's available for work. Like Steve, you know, like Steve did this, Steve took to LinkedIn mm-hmm. a while back and was like, I'm looking for a job out of the, out of the military. I'm looking for a job out of the army and talked to everybody he could talk to. It's a, it's a perfect example. And he may or may not land something quickly. And this is the, the plight of every job seeker. You're not just going to find your dream job tomorrow, but knocking on doors and talking to people versus just dropping applications into resume systems is probably the best way to go about doing this. Tell people you're available. Tell people what you're interested in, that you want to come work uh, in, in their place. And, and that's part of the next couple that, you know, save money, plan way ahead. Uh, and then heed advice, listen to what people are telling you who have already done this. Yeah. Uh, and that is probably one of the biggest things that I didn't do leaving the military. And I still talk to a bunch of the E fours and E fives who are coming out of the military. And they're like, I didn't listen to any of the transition stuff. And now I'm home falling on my face. Uh, and Steve was also a former guest on our podcast as well. So (laughs) yeah, thanks Steve. But, uh, but, but so much advice out there, go listen. There's a lot of noise mm-hmm. in the space. There's a lot of people giving advice, but the thing is that a lot of that advice is really good. Just pick and choose what you need to use. Uh, and Matt, looking at this, obviously, number one, there was no skill bridge when we were getting out. There was mm-hmm. no LinkedIn. So right. those two, uh, you know, I can't do this. Yep. Uh, I will, I will say I did not look to seek out any mentors immediately uh, yeah. during my transition. I did save a little bit of money. I, I will yeah. say I, I had a, a little bit of a cash. I came back away. with a cushion. Yep. Yeah. I, yep. I had enough where I go, even if I can't find a job for six, eight months, I'm going to be just fine. Right. Um, I planned, I'll say 12 months in advance. I was like, yep. all right, the plan is I'm going to go home at yep. the time. I'm going to look through newspapers. I'm going to you know start talking to people and hopefully land a, a job that I can turn into a career. But that's about as far as I planned. Yeah, uh, I think, you know, nowadays it's a little easier, especially if you get in one of these Skillbridge programs, you know, you start planning, Hey, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a month into the Skillbridge program. I really like this company. I like what I'm doing. Right. Uh, start, you know, road mapping that out, you know, Hey, I want to be, you know, that next level in the next yeah. three years and then, you know, 10 years, five years, whatever it is. Uh, and then six heat advice, uh, as a 22 year old, young, young man, um, I was still in that mindset. You really can't tell me a whole lot. Right. Um, I already know everything that, that, that was completely on me. And I look back and I remember conversations with uh, individuals, people that were uh, former veterans themselves, people that were still in the military, people that didn't serve in the military. Um, But I remember conversations where there was decent advice and I was too young to accept it. That's where the number, number three was seeking mentors. And I still find professionals who are out of the military, never served in the military that are like, I don't need a mentor. I don't understand what that's going to do. And and what it, what it does is you can mentor up or you can mentor down. You can actually mentor with somebody who's junior to you, which means you're talking to somebody who might be like, Hey, this is how your cell phone works. You're old now. And like, understand what the lingo in the workplace is, but you can also mentor up with people who have been doing this and have made all these mistakes. Mm -hmm. That's the the problem with this is a lot of people that leave the military, for example, are 20 somethings. Mm -hmm. Back to your point, I didn't want to listen. You can't tell me anything I don't already know. And, and that's not a solvable issue other than conditioning them to think about there are these things you can do that will guarantee success. Skillbridge, networking, LinkedIn, finding a mentor. Find somebody. I always mention Veterati. Use Veterati to go find a mentor and talk to somebody and ask the dumb questions. Because mm-hmm. the, the dumb questions are the ones that you're like, well, I don't really know where to start. How do I build a LinkedIn profile? You don't want to go say that to anybody because you're afraid somebody's going to laugh at you. A mentor is there to be like, no, man, you need to build a LinkedIn profile. And here's how it looks and feels. And here's how you use it. Because if you're not, that's that's the dumb the dumb situation is that you're not doing that. Yeah. Um, I've learned more from picking the brains of people who have been doing business for 30 years, military or not. Uh, I've learned more from those people than I do on a day-to-day basis, just kind of going through like, how do I communicate this message? Like 
what talking to somebody who's been doing this for 30 years is going to tell me how to do it better than I could do it the first time. Yeah, learn absolutely. from the, learn from their mistakes. Uh-huh. Absolutely. That's, it's a fantastic list and a, and a great topic. That's going to wrap us up for today. Uh, appreciate everybody uh, hanging out and checking, uh, checking in with us online. Uh, if you want to follow us, we are on all the major social media platforms as well as all the major podcasting platforms. Uh, so wherever you listen to us, make sure you're subscribed. That way you never miss an episode. Uh, and we'll be, uh, yeah, we'll be right back here next week on Beyond the Wire. Thanks for checking us out.